Hi, I'm Tom. And I'm Chris. And this is Room for Innocence. May 31st, 2014. A bicyclist on Big Bend Road in Waukesha, Wisconsin, sees a bloody young girl crawling out of the woods. He asks her what's going on, and she says that she has been stabbed. When asked who attacked her, the young girl replies, my best friend. Yeah. The victim was Peyton Leutner. Her friends had stabbed and tried to kill her in order to impress Slender Man. Slender Man is an urban legend on the internet, a faceless, silent, tall man with extremely long arms and legs, tendrils sprouting from his back. They come and go. They don't, they're not always sticking out of his back, but he can, he can summon the tendrils at will, I believe. Slender Man is like the boogeyman. It varies for each person, is open to interpretation. It's a faceless stranger who kidnaps kids. So it's like this lanky, stringy, long man who is in wooded areas, just kind of lingering in the background, no face. He wears a suit. Always wearing a suit. I think his suit changes a little bit. I think like, but for the most part, he looks like he's wearing men in black stuff. You know, black, black, black. You see a little vest, white in the vest area. He's black tie. Mm-hmm. Slender Man is what is called a creepypasta. And a creepypasta is a horror story that is created on the internet that other people build upon. So you kind of put the basic story out there and it's sort of like this crowdsourced, like open source horror. You know, people can take whatever you created and put their own twist on things. Creepypasta is a thing. And a website. And then there's also a website called the Creepypasta Wiki. And I think there are other Creepypasta websites as well, because Creepypasta is kind of a bigger thing, which is, I think it's this idea that you create something creepy and then it strings out because other people build on it. So it kind of like strings out like pasta. So creepy pasta. That makes perfect sense. Like what's so fascinating about this thing is how, you know, just the development of our, of, of culture is just exploding and things are happening so fast with the internet. And you have the explosion of this, I may not be using these terms of art correctly, urban folklore, myths, et cetera. Like you think of tall tales that were told in the past around the campfire and it takes dozens of ghost stories. Yeah. Years and years and dozens of years. And they're told over lifetimes and people have heard them and they grow and everybody, but now this guy creates slender man. Some guy created him by literally he photoshopped something. I'm using quote marks. He photoshopped something in some sort of contest to make Photoshop photos look real. So he took some photo of people back in like 1983, photoshopped slender man into it, inserted it, and it spread. And here it is. Boom. This incredible, like within years, yeah. you've got this thing that used to take dozens of, who knows how long it used to take right. folk tales like Paul Bunyan to, for example, to become a thing. Yeah. In this case, on June 10th, 2009, Eric Nudson, whose username was Victor Surge right. on this particular website, 
did what you said. He created, he photoshopped an image of this creepy shadowy figure in the background onto a picture from the 1980s of some kids at a playground. Super creepy. It totally took off and people started photoshopping images of Slenderman onto photos of children at playgrounds, in the woods, and it quickly became this urban legend of this creepy, faceless, long-limbed man in a suit who preyed on children. Head is always like white. One thing that makes him so interesting and continually interesting is you never really, I'm making this up, but like you never really, really see him. You kind of see him, but you see like half of him. He's always super blurred out. He's really far away. Like you're never really so close up to him that you can say like, see what his suit is made out of. And so people can kind of build upon what this shadowy image is. And with Slenderman, like you said, you only see bits and pieces of him at a time. He's usually kind of blurry or set far in the background. So psychologists have said he's like the boogeyman. It leaves it open to interpretation. So whoever is thinking about Slenderman, what Slenderman really looks like or really does, that person can fill in those gaps because it's left kind of ambiguous enough that you can fill in the gaps. And that makes Slenderman so accessible to everyone with some imagination. So what happened? Why was Peyton Leutner crawling out of the woods, bloody, saying that her friends had stabbed her? Her best friend had stabbed her. Here are the players. You have three middle school girls, all of whom are 12 years old. Peyton Leutner, she is the one who was stabbed and was crawling out of the woods on May 31st, 2014. The other two girls are Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire. And then the victim, I believe she goes by Bella. She does. So apparently in fourth grade or so, there were multiple Peytons in the classroom. And so Peyton Leutner started going by Bella. That's when her and Morgan became like BFFs, right? I believe. Yeah. But they'd known each other, I think, since kindergarten. Yeah. Something like kindergarten. And for the past couple of years, they'd really been besties. Bella had noticed that Morgan spent a lot of time alone and Bella was quite empathetic and really took Morgan under her wing. And they spent a lot of time together. I know that um, Morgan and Anissa were both somewhat like outcasts, I believe. And you kind of just alluded to that, but was Bella as well or was she just friendly? Okay. No. No, I think I think that Bella was pretty mainstream, pretty, you know, pretty friendly, pretty accepted, you know, had a lot of friends and all this stuff. Morgan really didn't. And so Bella really took Morgan under her wing. And then in the sixth grade, in the very beginning of the year, or I guess over the summer, Anissa Wire moved into Morgan's neighborhood. So Morgan and Anissa rode the same bus to school in the sixth grade. So Morgan and Anissa became friends. They just 
quickly found each other. And I think this is definitely a case of two outcasts recognizing the other. It definitely was. And it was to some extent, I believe, I mean, like a match made in hell. Yeah. So these two meet and they quickly become very close friends. And Morgan introduces Anissa to Bella. And Anissa does not like Bella. Why? She just really doesn't take to her. Jelly or just, or we just don't know. I don't think we know, but I think she's probably jealous of her. I think there's also one of the psychologists did mention you put three girls together and there's going to be a problem. Anissa just really did not like Bella. I think Anissa was Morgan's new best friend and Bella was the previous best friend. You know, it just, it just wasn't, wasn't working out too well. That being said, Anissa and Bella considered themselves friends. So it was almost one of those things where you would call it like frenemies. Sure. So Morgan and Anissa become closer and they have a shared interest in Slenderman. It's unclear how this shared interest was developed. If they both recognized that they liked Slenderman and that's how they started talking about him, or if they both had kind of just an interest in dark, morbid stuff. And one of them found out about Slenderman and told the other, but at any rate, they ended up both really being into Slenderman. I was going to say that I think they both liked him and that when they started getting together, they both had the shared interest, but I might be remembering that wrong, but we do know at some point they were both fascinated with it for sure. I think Anissa might have introduced Morgan to Slenderman. But I'm not entirely sure. And honestly, it's just, it's not always clear. These girls' stories don't necessarily line up completely. But they decided that they needed to kill Bella to prove themselves worthy to Slenderman. And I'm going to skip some of the detail because the detail comes out in the interrogation period. But what we do know is that Morgan's birthday party was May 30th, 2014. And Morgan invited Anissa and Bella over for a sleepover. And Morgan and Anissa were planning to kill Bella during this sleepover. They went out that night roller skating for hours and hours, exhausted themselves, came home, just fell asleep so exhausted. So the plan to murder Bella that night was not carried through. They woke up in the morning, regrouped, and said, let's grab a knife and take Bella out to the woods and murder her. And that is pretty much what they did. They packed a bag. They grabbed a knife. The three girls headed out to the woods. Bella, of course, not realizing that this plan was in motion. And the next thing she knows, she has been stabbed 19 times and is crawling out of the woods, trying to get help. And her friends are gone. There's so many things about this that are interesting as there are with most of these cases. And I know that we like to talk about it a lot from the defense perspective. It would just be easy for me to jump onto this case simply because it's juvenile. Uh, They definitely, you know, deserve a lot of help and attention. 
there's questions that we'll get to as far as how, what do you do with children when they do stuff like this? These are children. Now, a 17-year-old is a child. When you're in juvenile yeah. court and you're like the child this and the child that, like these are undeniably legitimately they're not even teenagers these kids are 12 but there's a lot to be said for when people start working together and telling stories and getting lost in you know in fantasy and these people were 12 so it's like there's a lot we'll talk more about it as Mm -hmm. we talk about the decisions that were made on how to handle this case yeah but it's very easy to swoop in and go they decided to kill you know like and it's like they did but it's interesting when you consider their brains are just tiny. Anyway, bring us back. Where are we? Where are we with these girls? Imagine that you're a detective. And I'm a cop. I'm a good cop. You're a cop. Your name is Tom Casey. Yeah. My name is. What is my name? You're Detective Tom Casey. I'm Detective Michelle Trisoni. Hey. We get a call that there's been a stabbing of a 12-year-old girl. She's gone into emergency surgery. She's still alive. It's not looking good. And the the two suspects in her stabbing are also 12-year-old girls, and they have been picked up and brought to the station, and we need to go in and question them. All right, let's go crack some skulls. Where's that kid? So Tom Casey goes into the room with Morgan Geyser. Yeah, no parents. Michelle Trasoni goes into the room with Anissa Wire. Mm-hmm. Neither of these two detectives has ever heard of Slenderman. <laughs> and they're thinking, you know, okay, I'm going to find out what happened. It was probably, uh, you know, somebody freaked out or there was an accident or they've got all these things running through their head that they think they're going to find out. And the questioning leads them in just an unimaginable direction. After they stab Bella, they decide to flee and try to find Slenderman's mansion. Right. Which is in a forest Nicolette Forest, 300 miles away. They're going to walk. So they start walking. And they, they, you know, they end up getting picked up by detectives because a, a citizen recognizes these two girls walking along covered in blood and says, oh, those are probably the two girls that are suspected of, you know, killing someone today call the police, police come and arrest Morgan and Anissa. And they are handcuffed and put into a police car and read their rights. Then they're taken to the police station. They're put in separate rooms. They're each assigned a detective to question them. And at this point, the detectives again, read them their rights. And have you seen the footage of this? I saw the footage of the detective that I remember of reading Morgan, her rights. I don't recall anything outside of that. Yes. Yeah. So he, you know, he tells her here, here are your rights. And he explains it very clearly. This is Mm -hmm. why I'm reading to them to you. It's important that you understand because we're going to be questioning you. And in order to ask you these questions, you know, so on and so forth. And he 
explains her rights to her. And she says, oh yeah, sure. Officer, whatever. And she signs, help me understand how it's okay in any way for a detective to question a 12 year old with no adult in the room. It's not, (laughs) it's legal, but it's not okay. Uh, I I don't get a lot of Mm -hmm. juvenile cases, but my understanding is that it is for them to do that. Um, They don't have, yeah, the cops can do it. Uh, I would imagine it's bad practice. I mean, because you you would of course try to fight and say that the child didn't give a voluntary consent to waive their Miranda right because they didn't understand what was going on, but you can do it. And I think it's, once, once you've read Miranda effectively, it can be kind of difficult. But to me, like, I, it just seems it's just a dirty trick, whether it's legal or not. I mean, they're 12. They're not, they don't really understand. There's no way they can understand what you're, you're talking about. And you see from the interrogation videos that they don't understand. And... Yeah, I mean, I I read that they don't need parental consent to question a child. The child has to be informed of their Miranda rights. But we talk about the law provides for things like somebody who, where English isn't their first language, that it's very important to ensure that they understand the rights that are read to them and that they don't consent to something that they don't understand. And yet in the case of a child, a 12-year-old child, I just don't understand how questioning them can be admissible without some adult representation in the room. And it, it seems like, to your point, it seems like it is okay. And I just disagree. <laughs> I don't. Maybe I just don't know enough about it, but that just seems fundamentally really questionable to me. Well... The police can't question your child over the parent's objection, but if the parent's not there to object, the police can question the child. So it's like, I've told the kids and I don't know if they, you know, you can tell people stuff a million times, but what do you do when you're actually faced with it? I've told them, don't talk to the police for the most part. I mean, if, if, you know, if it's life or death or something like that, maybe, but you know, if they just come up and they're asking you about stuff, don't talk to them. Just tell them you don't answer questions. You literally tell them your dad's a lawyer mm-hmm. and call me right away. I'll probably tell you to talk to them, you know? I believe that these girls' parents were fully aware that they were being questioned. So either the parents... That was the impression I got. Yeah. So either the parents were a bit ignorant or maybe they just felt it, they just wanted their children to just tell the truth full truth and you know what happens happens i don't know man maybe maybe if the girl was missing and it's like where is she but you got her she's in the hospital god bless her thank god she lived but my my attorney instinct and then my parental protection instinct would take over and i would be like nothing we're gonna f lee bailey we'll be here in a minute and we'll figure out what to do from there damage has been mitigated the girl's in the hospital And for one thing, I believe that if these girls had had their parents or a lawyer, their videotaped interrogations would not be on YouTube. 
they know and they wouldn't have taken place. Exactly. So let's right. talk about Morgan first. I watched a documentary on HBO Max called Beware the Slender Man. And then okay. I watched various YouTube videos of the interrogation, the detective questioning, and some court stuff, sentencing and things like that. So Morgan's mom was interviewed. Morgan's mom and dad were interviewed in the HBO Max show, Beware the Slender Man. And Morgan's mom says that as a younger child, Morgan lacked empathy. When they would watch a movie and something bad would happen to one of the characters, Morgan wouldn't react. They were afraid to watch Bambi with her because it's so sad when the mother dies. But when the mother died, Morgan yelled, run, Bambi, get out of there, save yourself. But she wasn't sad about the mom. And she wasn't sad about Bambi losing her mom, his mom. She was just trying to have Bambi get away. So in fairness, I'll say it wasn't like a hundred percent clear, even though it kind of mm-hmm. was like, you didn't see her get shot and fall down. Like, he, Bambi just keeps on, running mom. away. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Isn't that it? Yeah. yeah isn't that it? He turns around. He's like, mom, mom, where, where you at? Where are you at? And she's gone. I think I was like, dad, dad, is Bambi's mom dead. And, but I was, I remember yeah. being a little concerned about it. So, so, so yeah, so that could, I can totally see the parents being like, they're expect, they're like, okay, get the ice cream ready. Here comes the big yeah. moment and then nothing happens. And the mom just said that she felt like there were a lot of examples of that, that she could uh, look back on and think about. So we're thinking that this is a sign of her having like early indicators of being like, you know, well, lack of empathy, that's going to lead towards psychopathic, sociopath, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, right. Right. So Morgan's mom says, yes, there were signs and that she missed them because kids fantasize. How much is too much? A lot of times it's easy to look back and be like, oh, it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it's really not. It's it's just not. obvious. So I have a bunch of notes from Morgan's interrogation. She was interrogated by detective. You mean in interview is what they like to call that. Oh yeah. That's a technique. Yeah. To touch on the knee and to be like, oh, we're, we're going to talk about this together. I really hated that. And he rarely looked at her, which is fine because he's taking notes, but he's just asking her questions and writing down what she says. And she's this little child and she's squirming in her seat and she's tucking her arms inside her shirt and pulling her shirt over her knees and twisting backwards on the chair and hanging her head over. And she's just kind of flailing all over the place. Like Like a 12 year old. Well, right. I feel like any 12 year old would act like that. And I saw reports, you know, schizophrenic people don't have control over their physical movements, but I just thought she looked 12. She's just 12. And let me just say this real quick again about 12. I did do a couple, I did, it's been over 10 years, but I, I did some time as a juvenile uh, attorney with the public defender's office. And you just, you rarely see kids who are 12 in there for anything. Yeah. 
Um, every now and again, I, you see a kid, the judge is like, where is the defendant? And the kid will peek around the corner <laughs> of the podium and you're like, oh, what's up? But usually even usually it's 13. I know it doesn't sound like much, but the late end of 13, maybe 14, 14, 15 is mostly what is 16. Some, and then but 12, you hardly ever see it for anything. So yeah. the, these co- and these cops. Where are they from? Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just kind of judging. Waukesha, Didn't... Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many, I mean, who knows? Maybe it's a large metropolitan area and they're used to talking to juveniles, but it's a different kind of conversation altogether. So are they prepared for that? I'll let it get back to you, but are they prepared for this at all? Talking to a 12 year old about murder? I mean, it's, in, it's insane to me, but anyway. It's insane. And keep in mind, they still, they don't know why these girls did this. So they have no idea what they're about to hear. Right, right. And I think they did very well talking to these girls. I am no expert, but I thought they seemed to relate to them well and get a lot of information out of them. Uh, and to, it was easy. To, I mean, it was yeah. like fed given to them oh, on a platter. I mean, these girls they, they walked in like, what do you want to know? Yeah, they didn't have to run a game on him. I saw snippets, I think, of the guy interviewing Morgan. And he was professional. He was nice. I yeah. think what I saw, I can't remember what it was, but he, I thought he was being nice. I thought he was being cool. I didn't think he was being abusive or a jerk. I mean, but it's, you know, as a defense attorney, I'm trying to find gaps in there, but nothing that he did really offended the conscience, but I do think that they should have been able to talk to their parents. I think that was, mm-hmm. I just, as a, as a father, I just can't get around that. That to me would just, I'd be so upset. Oh, wow. Yep. I, I guess I can only imagine the parents didn't ask. I just, who? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the parents were dissuaded from asking. Who the hell knows? You know? I mean, I, 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 okay. Yeah. So he's talking to Morgan and he's asking her all about what happened. And here's just some snippets of how this went, just to show where her mentality is at. They say that they, they went to the three of them went to the park and they went into the bathroom And some events happened in the bathroom. They tried to knock Peyton out. I'm sorry, Bella. They tried to knock Bella out. It's hard to kill someone. It can also be easy. I mean, you just nick someone in the right spot. They're going to die. But if you hit someone in the wrong place or you stab someone or shoot someone in the wrong place, you can, you can waste a lot of energy and not kill somebody. Okay. Well, Morgan stabbed Bella 19 times. He tried. And didn't kill her. And he says to Morgan, what did it feel like to, to stab her? And she says, and she talks in this very floaty voice. She says, it felt like air. It was just like stab, 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 stab. And gestures with her hand, like she's stabbing. It's incredibly creepy. And then she, you know, tells the story about going to the bathroom and trying to knock Bella out and then deciding that they would do it over a game of hide and seek. And so trying to lure Bella into the woods to play hide and seek. And he says, tell me again, what happened after you went in the bathroom? And she says, stabby, stab, 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 hide and seek. I mean, and then she says to him, are you trying to do this over and over again to see if I tell the story differently? Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> so at one point he says, um, she says, I really didn't want to do this. And he says, well, why did you? And she said, I really didn't want to make Anissa mad. It's hard enough to make friends. 
I thought this was interesting. She says, truth be told, I wanted to be locked up so I couldn't hurt her. That's a stupid thing to even say. See, that's another thing here is 12 year old, whether they did it. I mean, we know they did, Mm -hmm. but they'll start saying silly, stupid things. I wanted to be locked up so I wouldn't hurt her. She probably never thought that, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe she did. I don't know. But but what I'm saying is like, you really can't, as much as they're telling the truth, you still can't believe everything that they're saying. She, Um, she says a couple of times that she wanted to keep putting it off so that they didn't have to do it. Are we talking about Morgan? Morgan, Morgan. Okay. She wanted to keep putting it off because, you know, she hoped they wouldn't ever do it, but that she felt it was necessary. She felt that she needed, she really can't effectively communicate why she thought it was necessary. She just says, we had to do it for Slender Man. It had to be someone I loved. So it needed to be Bella because I had known her and she had been my best friend. So she tells detective Casey that they decided in September, sorry, they decided in December to kill Bella at Morgan's birthday sleepover in May. So she met Anissa in October and by December, they were planning a murder that would take place in five months. I mean, is that even true, though? I mean, are those dates true? I believe their stories line up. Okay. I mean, if they both said it, then yeah, that's amazing. That even that anybody could have that kind of patience to wait and not let the secret slip to someone else. She says, you have no idea how hard it was not to tell anybody. Well, you didn't have any friends, <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, that, that sounded mean. And I, you know, I maybe Who'd you have to keep it th- from? They, yeah, yeah. I mean... And then he says, well, why, why the sleepover in May? And she said, because we would all be together. It was a flawless plan, actually. Honestly, it was a terrible plan. I mean, I I kept thinking about that. It's a typical 12 year old plan. Parts of it are great. And then other parts of it are just un, there's no, they didn't even think about what they were going to do next, which is why they just, were so blatantly caught. They, I guess they were going to walk to Slenderman's palace and he was going to make everything all right because mm-hmm. that's where everybody hung out afterwards. That's right. They would be his servants. And I just think that's part of where it's kind of almost uh, just... The YouTube comments are fantastic because it says like, quote, it was a flawless plan, actually, quote, says the young girl from the police interrogation room. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it shows you the mind of a 12 year old. Yeah. Like they just like, they just, you know, um, uh, yeah. What a mess. Oh, what and then mess. he says, how did you get Bella, you know, to the, to the wooded area where you stabbed her? And she says that they tricked her into the area saying they were going bird watching. Hmm. And she says, people who trust you become very gullible. And it was sort of sad. Oh God. Oof. Oh, they just make her sound so bad. But she did try to kill somebody. And then randomly she says to the to, to to randomly she says to the detective, please don't cut off my head. Again, just silly talk, silly talking. She doesn't understand stuff. And then she says, Are you going to put me in prison and I'm going to rot and die? And Detective Casey says, Well, I don't think you're going to prison, and I don't think you're going to rot and die there. We probably need to have somebody talk to you and figure out what the best circumstance is for you. 
Well, I'll tell you what, if this happened in Florida, they'd put him in prison uh, for the rest of their lives, probably. I mean, I, I just mean that, unfortunately. I mean, there's we'll find out more about their situation later, but that's just... Uh, they would be just chomping at the bit down here. <laughs> Not to in just Wisconsin. Try, try them as adults. They're so nice in Wisconsin. So, oh, she says that as they were fleeing the area, because after they stabbed Bella, they took off. And they actually told Bella, we're going to go get help. After stabbing her 19 times. And then they ran right. off and they were trying to make their way to Slenderman's mansion. And they went into some woods at one point because they were hoping to find Slenderman because he spends time in the woods. So they went into some woods hoping to find him and they tried to sort of summon him. They were saying, you know, Slenderman, please, we need your help. Right. And Morgan says, I sort of thought he might kill us if we did find him because he has a tendency to do that. Were they really going up there? Like, did they actually fucking believe this or is it just all bullshit? They did. Um they let's see they didn't know exactly where they were going so they they go into a walmart to use the bathroom clean some of the blood off of themselves and fill their water bottles and morgan says we considered the fact that we might be questioned why we were covered in blood but then we decided it's walmart <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. And they were right. <laughs> oh my um, God. The detective asks her, what did you think was going to happen to you after killing Bella and running away? And she said, I thought that we would get caught. I expected I'd either get put in prison or an insane asylum. I don't think I'm insane though. Wow. <laughs> she said that in the interrogation room. Yeah. And then the detective asks her how many times she stabbed Bella. And she says, I don't know. I didn't know I was supposed to count. Oh, my God. Typically, typical style of a smart aleck 12-year-old answer to a question. And two last things. One is when she went to stab Bella, she climbed on top of her, pulled out the knife and said, don't be afraid. I'm only a little kitty cat. Oh my goodness. Where did that come from? Did she say that or did, that, did Bella say she said that? She had decided that that was going to be her line when she worked for Slenderman. So uh, basically like when she became a serial killer, that was oh going to be her line. Okay. And then she says, it's weird. I felt no remorse. I thought I would. I still have this idea in my head that it was necessary. Okay. So Morgan clearly has mental health issues. The detective, you know, he's, he can tell he's asking lots and lots of questions to kind of approach it from every possible angle and make sure that things are consistent, but it's very consistent that she has no emotion about what happened. Uh, and that she, you know, believes in Slenderman, believed that she needed to kill her friend in order to become one of Slenderman's communities and live in his mansion. 
All right. Now we will move on to Anissa's interview. I saw parts of her interview and she seemed uh, off also. That's all I'm going to say. And I'll be even more like she seemed like she even like was. Well, I'll let you, you talk. She seemed off to me. What seemed off about her? She just seemed to enjoy. She, she kept laughing. Just seemed to be. I can't remember the, in the details, but concerned about things that were just didn't make any sense. But finding humor in various things that mm. were clearly not funny. Mm. She seemed to me like she was. Uh, must have some sort of diagnostic mental condition as well. In, in my layman's opinion, mm-hmm. she just she was acting bizarre in the interview parts that I saw with her. More so than in a different way than Morgan. Morgan was detached and didn't seem to care at all. And Anissa seemed as if she thought things were funny that were just clearly not funny. Yeah, at, at all. At all. And you know, God, both there's something wrong with both these girls. I don't, I don't really, even though they did something terrible, I don't wish anything bad on them. I'm not saying they're bad. There's something wrong here. And that's when I said earlier, match made in hell. I was a little bit tongue in cheek when I said that, but clearly something wrong with Morgan, clearly something wrong with Anissa. And when you put both of them together and they're, mm-hmm. and they're isolated, you've just got it's just like this petri dish of bad ideas that came to fruition. But yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. go on. so this, this girl gets her interview. She was interviewed by a different police officer. It's a really good point about not just that you took these two people who both had instability and put them together, but how you put them together isolated. The psychologists and everything talked about the fact that if these two girls were part of a group of seven, uh, they would have been fine. Sure. But these two girls being part of a group of two or three, you know, was not okay. Nope. Okay. Gotcha. So switching over to Anissa, Anissa was questioned by detective Michelle Trussoni. Unlike Morgan, Anissa cried in her interview. Uh, Morgan had that sing-songy voice. I felt no remorse. It was weird. Anissa's nose was stuffed the whole time. Like you could tell that she had been crying and she was talking through that. Um, the first thing that Anissa says to the detective is the detective comes in and says, you know, can I get you a drink? Can I get you some food? Is it too cold in here? And Anissa's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And the detective says, okay, I'll be right back. And Anissa's like, wait, before you go, can you tell me how far we walked today? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I'm asking because I'm not usually very athletic. And so I just really want to know how far I walked. That is the first thing she wants to know. She believes that she has killed Bella. And the first (sighs) thing she wants to know is how far she might have walked. So bizarre. It's so bizarre that she said that. And it seems like she doesn't care about the girl dying or she doesn't care about her situation and that she's truly just aloof and is concerned about how far she walked, which may be the case, but I think it's not really the case. I think the girl, it's likely that she probably is very concerned. No, she's in a lot of trouble. She's nervous. It's just this front that she's kind of putting on for a second. It's still inappropriate and it shows that her mind was not in the right place. But I, I, I think it was some sort of masking behavior 
on her part, but it's still almost laughable in a sad way that like, to you, you know, you're trying to mask your behavior, your mask, your feelings, and you come up saying something silly like that, which just, again, goes back to the fact that these girls are just 12. All right. So Anissa is being questioned by detective Michelle Trusoni. And Anissa says, the reason that they did the stabbing was they needed to prove that Slenderman was real. And the way to do that was by killing somebody. Anissa had learned about Slenderman on the Creepypasta Wiki, a site full of horror stories meant to scare you. Right. She said that Slenderman targets children, and she was really scared knowing that Slenderman could kill her whole family in three seconds. That's fast. She said that Morgan suggested they become proxies, which are servants of Slenderman, and that in order to do that, they needed to kill Bella to prove themselves worthy to Slender. Anise came up with that idea. She says Morgan suggested we become proxies. Oh, oh I'm sorry. So Morgan suggested Bella. According to Anisa. According to Anisa. Yeah. And Anisa says, as a proxy, you can live in the Slender Mansion in the middle of Nicolette National Park. But the big thing with Anisa is she was reading all of these things about Slenderman. And then there were a lot of skeptics who said that Slenderman wasn't real. And it was really starting to weigh on her whether Slenderman was real or not. Wow. And her purpose in killing Bella was to figure out once and for all if Slenderman was real. I just, wow. Okay. Anissa's internet history showed her taking quizzes like, are you a psychopath? And the sanity test, are you crazy? And this was in early May of 2014, just weeks before the attack. I mean, you know, you know, is that taken out of context? I mean, and she says to the detective, the detective says, how did you feel when Morgan said you needed to kill Bella? And she says, I was scared, but I was also kind of hopeful. I was hopeful to prove that I wasn't crazy, that I wasn't seeing things because I had seen Slender a few times. But now I think it was probably my mind playing tricks on me. I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, if, if these girls are telling the truth, it's it's amazing. Now, it's not a far stretch to think that somebody could believe in this, especially a 12 year old. I mean, there are people there are people who we all all of us believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny when we're like five, six, seven. Easy. Mm-hmm. Um, there are adults who believe in the Bigfoot, right? I mean, there are, but, but, but aside from, I'm not talking about just Bigfoot and myths. I'm talking to like, there are people who believe in things. They believe that these things exist. Yeah. So it's, it's not, you can't just say, oh, these girls believe in Slenderman. I, I, like there's no way there is a way. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I still find it a little silly, but I don't believe in anything, but there are, can only repeat what I had just said. It's not out of this world to think that these girls could literally believe that this guy is true. No, I agree. Okay. She's talking about them running away. And I don't know if I've really said this yet, but the the story seems to be that Morgan and Anissa were arguing over who was going to stab Bella. 
And they finally decided that it would be Morgan. So Morgan is the one that did the stabbing. And then, of course, they're running away. And Anissa said they didn't really know where they were going. And she says, Morgan said we couldn't ask anyone. She knew that if we asked someone for directions or anything, the police would probably be called. Because what isn't strange about a blonde girl with creepy eyes walking around with a blood-covered jacket and a girl next to her looking like this and points at herself. So she refers to her friend as a blonde girl with creepy eyes. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, then she says, you know, she says that she was feeling really sick and she felt like she needed to eat something and she tried to eat a granola bar and she couldn't eat because I was still thinking of Bella laying in the forest area where we left her dying. So she seems to show some sense of remorse, some sense of understanding that what she did was wrong, but not regret. Yeah. Okay. You said she shows remorse and some sense of understanding that what she did was wrong. Yeah. Now she definitely, they have a sense of understanding of what they did was wrong and the remorse. I sound like an asshole saying this, but is the remorse sounds more like I'm worried about getting caught than worried about the physical condition that, that you left your best friend in. So what it sounds like to me. You're a hundred percent right though. Every time they ask her, she says, I was so scared. I was scared that I'd never see my family again. I was scared. I was going to jail. I was scared. I was going to be executed. It was almost never about Bella. That being said, she obviously wanted to kill this person. So why would she be worried about it? She planned it and set out to do it. And then kind of assumes that they did kill her. So Mm. oh it's incredible okay so at one point in the questioning anisa said she no longer believes in slender man and the detective asked her why (laughs) since that morning exactly and she says like since the stabbing and anisa says yes because when morgan and i were having a nervous breakdown we asked slender man for help and he did not come to help us Slender man works in mysterious ways. Yeah. And remember, I told you that her thing really seemed to be trying to prove if he was real. And so the fact that they did this and Slender man didn't come to help them to her solidified that he was not real. That was her takeaway. Um, She does ask the detective at one point, she says, how many stab wounds did they find? And the detective says 19. And she says, okay, Morgan counted 17. Which is pretty funny. Because what did Morgan say when the detective asked how many times she stabbed Bella? She didn't know she was supposed to count. Exactly. And she literally counted. She knew that she had stabbed her at least 17 times. Um, Okay. And the last quote I have from Anissa's interview is that she says the bad part of me wanted her to die, but the good part of me wanted her to live. You were talking about the families and how the families seemed normal. So her dad has, was part of the documentary and he was so interesting. He said, first of all, he was showing off her room, which is completely pink. 
I mean, it is the pinkest, floweriest, you know, 12 year old girl's room. And he says, nobody uses the bed while she's gone. I don't know. Maybe the cat does. I guess it just made more sense to take everything apart and wash it. And when she comes home, it's all clean and ready to go. You know, it's just a matter of when. God almighty. That's just, I can't even imagine as a parent wouldn't want to be on any side of this. And you're thinking, you think she's going to come home at an age where she's going to want that bedroom? I mean, it could be it could be decades before she comes home. Like if they end up trying her as an adult and sentencing her, like she could be gone because you'll, you'll get these judges who are just like, uh, you know, I wish we could just put them in jail without parole for life. I don't give a damn how old they're. I mean, you literally have judges who are like that. Uh, So it was the saddest thing to see this dad be like, it's all clean and ready. And no one else sleeps in that bed. Uh, this is, I don't think this is anything major I'm going to say here, but hope is a powerful force. Yeah. But when everything's just terrible, you find something like I have clients who go to prison for 25 years and they hope they'll get out and that they just, yeah, you know what I mean? They just look toward that day. As long as you've got something, no matter how bleak it is, but wow, it sounds like that dad's doing that. You yeah. know, he's that's, could you, could you fucking no. imagine your kid taken away from you on any level, whether regardless, they're guilty, they're not guilty, whatever, especially at 12. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. You just want them back. Oh. Okay. Now we are out of interrogations. We've moved into the court system. The girls were both charged with attempted first degree murder. Wisconsin law requires they be tried as adults. They face up to 65 years in prison. Did it require that they be tried or did they? It requires that they begin in adult court. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So obviously the first thing you're, what's the first thing you're going to do? Or well, try to keep it in juvenile court. Yeah. So what would your arguments be about? You know, I, I don't even know. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it you're almost helpless, honestly, in Florida, it, in Florida, uh, the state attorney can direct file it and send it to adult court. Doesn't matter what you say. Oh wow! Really. You know, um, it's it's almost impossible. It's literally almost, I would say, basically impossible in Florida to keep a case in juvenile if the state decides that they want to send it. Okay. Up to what we call direct filing, they can file it straight on into adult court. Judge can't say no, and defense attorney ter- defense attorney certainly doesn't have a say. I've seen kids, children is the legal term direct filed as adults for stealing a car in no egregious fashion, just direct property theft. Well, if you're old enough, yeah, you're old enough to steal a car. You're old enough to go in. And I don't agree with it. I think in, in no circumstance ever is it, is there any sort of logical reason that you can give me that a, a child deserves or needs to, or has otherwise earned the position of having to be tried as an adult. It doesn't make any kind of sense. You know, oh, well, the crime's so heinous. Well, the more heinous a crime is, almost the more reason that the child should remain tried as a juvenile because they're clearly not adults. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the one concern that I do also feel is legitimate is 
when somebody does something as horrifying as this, you know, it, it, you know, is because let's say they're, they're 12 when it happens, they'll be 13, 14, 15 by the time it's finally adjudicated or they figure out what's going on. And then you've got three years till they're 18, you know, depending on where you are, it could be anywhere from 18 to 21 before the juvenile courts lose jurisdiction altogether. Mm-hmm. So maybe you want to keep an eye on people like this for a little bit longer, you know, so that's where I almost maybe it would, you know, because you can't give them a juvenile sanction and then keep them on probation until they're 30. Right. You maybe that you could give them an adult sanction, but you do that and you agree beforehand that you're going to, you know, maybe the defense could do something like they could agree to being filed as an adult, but let's go ahead and figure out a way to do this. So, you know, we've got a probation offer in place so they don't end up getting sentenced to 30 years or something like that. But I can see how somebody might say, we need this guy. We need jurisdiction over this person for 10 years. So we can really, really, really make sure that this is not going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And, and, and maybe that's why you could do them as an, as an adult. So the judge in this case pretty much said what you just said. He said, juvenile jurisdiction is short. Ah, yep. Yep. Juvenile jurisdiction is short and would end and we'd have no assurance of community protection after the age of 18. I mean, I, I can see that point. So in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, it seems to be 18. And I, okay. when I first heard that in Wisconsin at age 10, you get tried as an adult for a felony. My first thought was that is insane. What is happening in our justice system? But when he puts it to me that way, I'm like, okay, so they're basically saying you might do something that that deserves a punishment longer than eight years. And so this allows the courts to give you to protect the community for past your age of 18. Okay, so they were the defense, of course, said, you know, this should go to juvenile court. And the judge said no. Morgan pled not guilty to attempted first-degree intentional homicide party to a crime with a dangerous weapon. And then a second plea, this is how they do it in Wisconsin, a second plea of not guilty due to mental disease or defect. Okay, interesting. So what would the mental disease or defect be? She clearly knew what she was doing was wrong. So you were talking about the forensic psychology and, and whatnot that was done. Right. Yes. So I saw one of the experts testified that he diagnosed Morgan. This made me laugh. I gotta be honest. He diagnosed Morgan with schizophrenia. Okay. Oppositional defiant disorder. I used to get kids with that. Yeah. That means you're a dick and bronchial asthma. Well, Okay, I don't think that had much to do with it. <laughs> Swear to God. Was she ever diagnosed with uh, being like, being a psychopath or sociopath or anything like that? Or was it just the schizophrenia? Because the schizophrenia could could explain her fat or flat affect to being asked questions. It's sort of weird, inappropriate responses. It could be explained by that as opposed to, say, being a psychopath with no empathy and actually no ability to understand the emotions 
of other people. Now, if she's both, that's, that's, that's really tough. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia, oppositional defiant disorder. And bronchial asthma. And bronchial asthma. She was not diagnosed as psychopathic or sociopathic or anything on the psychopathy spectrum. So she has an inability to connect with reality. She loses track with reality. That really sounds like she could have been believing this. Yes. And that is the problem is that she has this disconnect with reality. It's not that she's psychopathic or sociopathic. It's that she's in another reality. Sure. She has the schizophrenia, which, you know, we pretend like we understand it, but we, we, you know, and we do, I think when I say we, I just mean, you know, psych psychology and Mm -hmm. what it is, but there's different aspects of it. And who can really say what's going on in in somebody's mind? Oh my goodness. I mean, especially a 12 year old. Yeah. So one thing that one of the doctors said is we have studied schizophrenia extensively. It is, it seems to be fairly well understood, which is good. All right. You know, it's good if you have something that, that is understood. She is on a cocktail of medications. I mean, they're talking about her antidepressants and her antipsychotics and her anti-anxieties and these various cocktails and what they do to her behavior and what they do to her ability to have therapy and to connect and all of these different things. So she is like super duper medicated. Okay. So Morgan Geyser pled guilty to attempted first degree intentional homicide. As part of her plea agreement, she was convicted, but found not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. Right. Okay. Okay. She was sentenced to 40 years under a mental health institution's supervision. So she may periodically petition for release, but she will be under institutional supervision for the 40 years. Okay. But she can get out. Ooh, wow. Yeah. So the judge felt like she needs to be supervised for 40 years based on the extent, the extent of her mental illness. You know, and I want to, you know, I want to say, oh, that's not fair, but is it, you know, I mean, right. and, and she can get out, you know, when she's considered safe to be out with supervision, she can get out but she will be supervised for 40 years. And I don't think schizophrenia goes away. No, no, it's not curable. It's not curable. You can treat it, but on but again, armchair Tom here, it's oftentimes doesn't show itself till later in life. Not much later, but early sometime in the twenties, it's in the twenties. Yes. And so for 12 I mean, I, my, I mean, my, I mean, my heart really goes out to this girl. Like, I hope she's able to get it together. Cause I'm only guessing that it's going to get worse and worse mm. and that, you know, maybe, I mean, she's going to be medicated for life. Yeah. Hopefully so that maybe she can. Yes. So schizophrenia impacts 1% of the population and it is extremely, That's a lot of people. it's extremely unusual for it to occur prior to age 13. Okay. Right. Even then, like I, most of my clients and I've had, and it's very sad, you know, and I've had some where I see that this is what's happening. Um, the good people, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I had one guy who was, a he was a semi-pro, I guess he played ba- basketball. 
and he was in the European League. Um, and is you know he kind of was phased out of that, and by the time I he wound up on my desk, literally, um, well not his file, um, he didn't have a a, a bad record, never nothing really violent or anything like that. But you could just see the arc of his life was that he you know it just you know he was he was a wunderkind of basketball, mm-hmm. didn't quite go pro in America pro European league. And then just kind of slowly started having some issues and, and left and came back down. And when I got him, he was in his early thirties and schizophrenia was taking hold. And I'm, I'm, it was, it was sad. And I've, I've seen that sort of thing happen a, a bunch. So mental health is um, just an incredibly important thing. And it affects so many people. That's 1%. That's a huge number. That is out a of big every, number. Yeah. You know, hundred people you've got schizophrenia and think of all the other mental health issues that are out there that people are suffering from that are way more prevalent than schizophrenia. It's a, it's a very big deal. Um, yeah. And I've, I found out so many of my clients, I found most of them are there because they have a mental health issue. Now, a lot of them are there because they're stealing and they're doing drugs. And most of that stuff comes from a mental health, health an, issue. An untreated mental health issue. Yes. And then some of my clients are just assholes and that's why they're there. But there are a lot of them, many of them who uh, just have a mental health issue. And it's very sad. So I saw an interview with Morgan's parents and the mom said, you know, she speaks to Morgan at this mental institution. And the mom said, when I ask her what she plans to watch on TV that night, she says, it depends on whose turn it is to decide. And she is in a cell by herself. Oh, goodness. Wow. Her dad has schizophrenia. He was diagnosed as a teenager and did not ever talk to her about it, did not recognize that she was showing signs of schizophrenia and did not ever tell Morgan that he had schizophrenia. So of course he's feeling some guilt about if I had been more honest about what I go through, maybe we would have seen it, et cetera. And it is so sad to see him talk about it. And he says, He's talking about what it feels like to be schizophrenic. And he said, I know the devil is not in the backseat, but the devil is in the backseat. You know, it's not real, but it smells and looks and tastes real. So it's real. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And of course, they know this when they sentence her, you know, they take that into account, they take into account her examinations and her family history and all of these things. And so that's how they end up on 40 years. You know, they say this girl has a rare issue to have schizophrenia as a 12 year old girl to have a parent with it. And it is it can be, you know, hereditary. She is going to need basically a lifetime of support. All right, let's move on. Anissa. Anissa's case to me is far more interesting because Morgan very clearly has these very serious mental health issues. And, you know, she's she's going to be under care for 40 years. Plus, she actually is the one that did the stabbing. Anissa, on the other hand, I think was more interesting because she's not diagnosed with something that is 
like, like a permanent thing like schizophrenia. So they have to really think more about what do they expect the future to hold for her? So she showed signs of what they call schizotypy. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. It's, it's like, it's like schizophrenic, but not being diagnosed as schizophrenic. So it's an inability to distinguish between real and not real, but it seems to be more of like behaviors that you show as opposed to a mental disorder. Let's see. Schizotypy. Unusual and disorganized patterns of thinking together with interpersonal difficulties that may raise vulnerability to schizophrenia. So if you have schizotypy, you could be, you're more susceptible to schizophrenia. She was not diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit after, after talking about Anissa, but this is where the two of them coming together made, I think made Anissa feel and experience things that otherwise she may not have. Sure. She was, uh, the expert said she had no characteristics of a psychopath or sociopath. You'll see a lot of armchair psychologists on the internet saying that she's clearly sociopathic. Shrink said she's not psychopathic or sociopathic. Interesting. Okay. She pled not guilty. Um, her charge was similar to Morgan, but it was attempted second degree intentional homicide party to the crime with a dangerous weapon. That's Wisconsin language. Um, she pled not guilty. Um, and she entered a second plea of not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. They call it a two phase proceeding. She was set to have a jury trial for both pleas. The maximum sentence for this charge of second degree attempted intentional homicide is 30 years imprisonment, which is 20 years of initial confinement followed by 10 years of extended supervision. The use of the dangerous weapon adds five years of confinement. So you end up at 25 years of initial confinement followed by 10 years of extended supervision. The circumstances were that if the jury trial resulted in a guilty verdict, Anissa would be sentenced to 20 years of imprisonment, which is 10 years of initial confinement and 10 years of extended supervision. So 10 years in, 10 years out. That's okay. if the jury found her guilty. If the jury found her not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect, then her sentence would be institutional care with conditional release as early as July 1st, 2020. All right. Yeah, that's not bad. The jury trial came back with a not guilty, which means that the jury said at the time the crime was committed, the defendant had a mental disease or defect. They said she did. And they said that as a result of this mental disease or defect, Anissa lacked substantial capacity to appreciate the wrongfulness of her conduct or to conform her conduct to the requirements of the law. So then they go to sentencing and the state is asking for 25 years, which would go through 2039. 
it would be until she was, I want to say like 37 years old. And then the state, I mean, the defense asked for a max of her being 25 years old for the imprisonment to end when she reaches age 25. The judge noted in his decision that there are a lot of things that haven't been addressed yet in her therapy. She still believes in Slenderman. She has shown herself to be highly impressionable to other inmates. She made a Ouija board and thought that she let out a demon that was visiting her at night while she slept. The judge then says, what's best for the community may not be best for Anissa Wire. Oh, this is what I was going to say. And it, 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 what I was saying is, is, is she looking at being, they're getting out of custody at 20, whatever it was, or is that, is there jurisdiction ending at that point altogether? The defense is suggesting that jurisdiction ends when she hits 25 years old. That the judge refers to that as imprisonment. Even the extended supervision, he calls that imprisonment. So the terminology that he uses is imprisonment is your sentence. And then some of your imprisonment is what he calls confinement, which is like being in an institution. And some of it is extended supervision. Oh, so, the, so the state wants 25 years of imprisonment. And the defense wants imprisonment until she is 25 years old, which works out to be 12 fewer years. I see. It's just a general question that I'm always weighing. And I think everybody is in a different way because we all come up with different answers is, you know, how much do you want to punish these girls by keeping them locked up, regardless of the guise of how you're doing it, whether it's in, in, in a mental institution or prison? Um, versus, you know, what good they're going to be to society when they get out, you know, mm -hmm. like, so sometimes I ask myself, that's like, sure, this guy deserves something or girl or whatever. But at the same time, I mean, do, do we really want to lock this person up for 30 years? And then you let him out when he's 45 and he's been in prison for 30 years. What's he going to do then? You know, I mean, maybe nothing, probably just be pathetic and smoke crack and get arrested and sp spend his life in jail on the installment plan. But, you know, there, there are some arguments that, you know, you take someone, you put them in jail for 20 years, maybe they deserve it, maybe not, but you release them and now they're an animal with no education, sure. no ability, no ability to help society. And you get my, my daughter will start telling you um, about all the different countries that have all these different social programs that take care of people or release them from prison without doing extended incarcerations. And they actually become productive members of society. They house the homeless and there's all sorts of like reductions in crime. And we don't do any of that shit here in America. We just lock people up, you know, for long, long periods of time, you know, and I keep talking about it when we go camping sometimes in the middle of the state and we just drive past prisons one after the other. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So they're, they're locking them up and letting them out. No, he, he does talk about, of course, like that distinction between when you're confined and when, when you have this extended supervision. And I, I don't know a whole lot about punishment, but it does sound like it's supposed to address some of what you're talking about, which is that your quote unquote imprisonment is not the whole time in confinement because they want to put you back into society. Um, this judge, I really liked this judge. 
And he never mentioned punishment when he talked about sentencing her. In fact, he even said, he said, when thinking about her imprisonment, her her confinement, he said, I'm weighing her youth, her naivete, when the offense was committed. He said the nature of the offense. And then he even kind of said, the nat- he, I'm paraphrasing, but he, he kind of said the nature of the offense is not the big thing here. This is not the biggest piece of the puzzle. And he, then he says, when I made the decision about whether to send this to, juven- to juvenile court, the reason that I kept it in adult court is because Juvenile jurisdiction is short and would end, and we would have no assurance of community protection after Anissa turned 18. He said to maintain safety and protection to the community, that didn't seem like the right decision. And that's why he kept it in adult court. So it's the same guy. And then he said, our goal here is to give Ms. Wire the opportunity to become a functioning member of the community. Good. So... All that said, he said, I'm giving her the maximum sentence. (laughs) He said, I'm giving her the maximum sentence of 25 years of institutional care with a conditional release as early as July 1st, 2020. So she can petition for conditional release. I mean, that makes sense. A few years of heavy monitoring. Yep. And she had already been in jail or she had been in jail at this point or an institution for three years. So going until 2020 would be like a total of six or seven years um, of confinement. And when, when giving that sentence, he cited her maturity her empathy and her remorse. At this point, she's 15 years old sitting in this court. It's been three years since the offense. And he felt that, you know, she was really displaying a lot of maturity, empathy, and remorse. So he gave her this sentence. Okay. Now, big news. Anissa was released from the mental institution in September of 2021. Okay. How's she doing? At 19 years old. I do not know how she's doing. Her conditional. So she had. But she got out. Back to her bedroom. Back to her pink bedroom. I know. I thought the dad was so nuts to think that. I shouldn't say nuts. I thought the dad was very. um, He had high aspirations. Yeah. Like I was really sad when he talked about her coming back to that bedroom. Because I'm thinking to myself, she's going to be almost 40 years old. But no, she was released at 19 years old after spending almost four years at the Winnebago Mental Health Institute in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. The conditional release plan calls for her to live with her father, submit to around-the-clock GPS monitoring, receive psychiatric treatment. She is not allowed to use the internet except when she's at home. And the Department of Corrections will monitor her online activity. A case manager will monitor any medications that she has for 
post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and a personality disorder. I think that's that psychotopic psych- schizotopy. Yeah. <laughs> Her cell phone won't be able to access the internet. She won't be allowed to use social media. She's not allowed to consume alcohol or drugs, enter a bar, possess a weapon, or have any contact with Bella Leutner or her family. God, that's a lot. That's a lot, but she's out of the institution. Um, Okay, so just to wrap it up, a few things. A court-appointed forensic psychologist, here's a quote. Once you find this character on the internet, you can read all these stories that look real. They look like newspaper articles. It's hard for a lot of people to differentiate, let alone a 12-year-old. Sure. Especially impressionable, like, you know, extra impressionable with some of the issues that they had. Oh, my God. Wow. It's amazing how, you know, you can just get these different ingredients that we're all kind of bumping into here and there, but you, you, you put them in the right place at the right time and you come up with different things. And in this case you know, this is what happened. It's just, I mean, the isolation, the, the mental issues, um, just the, 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 the draw of slender man. The fact that Anissa's family moved to Morgan's neighborhood, right. When this slender man interest yeah. was kind of hot, they, they were on the same bus. Uh, a psychiatrist talked about a shared psychotic disorder, which he called a folie à deux, which is the madness of two. Interesting. Wow. So that's ex- literally what we've been yes. talking about. That's like, what the, you've been uh, talking about. Wow. Yes. He said, when someone takes on the delusions of someone else that has a psychotic disorder, such as schizophrenia. So the oh girls fed into the girls fed into validated and strengthened each other's beliefs. Wow. That's amazing. And this is the guy that said, if it had been, a, if these girls had been two members of a small group, never would have happened. Never would have happened. But that madness of two finding each other led to this. And then he said, if either girl had doubts, they might have kept it bottled up in order to be a good friend to the other. Um, and then he mentioned something called pluralistic ignorance, where he said each girl thinks that the other girl is more extreme. Mm-hmm. And so they think they're going along with that other girl. But really, the other girl's thinking the same thing. They both have concerns. They're both thinking the other is more extreme. And if either one of them would raise their hand and be like, this is nuts, they'd both be like, oh, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> It's so fascinating how all of these, there's little aspects of all of this, which we all kind of have to some extent in our lives. Maybe we don't want to kill people, but like, it's not that they want to kill people. It's that they had these other different things going along. um, And then just unchecked. It's just like the perfect storm is what it's like. Just these different things come together, things that are around all the time. Um, But they just came together here and, just reacted. Oh my God, it's amazing. And how do you protect yourself from something like this happening? You know, we talk about that from time to time, you know, tell our kids, Oh, I don't know if you should go out with them because they might kill you. I mean, what really? But I mean, a lot of times the best you can do in life is just hope you don't run into trouble. You know, I mean, 
a lot of people out there are thinking you can prepare and preparing is good. Remaining vigilant. Don't make what seem to be poor decisions, but you know, looking over your shoulder and making sure that you're armed at all times doesn't necessarily keep you safe. You, you know, like you just never know where this stuff is going to come from. Like, when are we going to come home tomorrow and find out that just some weird shit happened that we didn't see coming, you know? And then, then we're on internet talk shows talking about, you know, I did the best I could, you know, but, you know? Yeah. There's nothing Peyton could have, uh, Bella, there's nothing Bella could have done. Yeah. Going to a birthday party. It's going to be a great night. Yeah. And yeah, they went to the park and they were kind of bullying her at the park before they got around to stabbing her. So, you know, could she at any time have been like, you guys are so mean. I'm going home. Maybe, maybe they would have just attacked her or maybe they would say, okay, let's do it next week. Or is she going to say, let me go home. I mean, kids get bullied all the time and put up with a lot. Yeah. She put up with it. She was just, she, she says that she was just thinking, I can't wait for this to be over. I just want to go home. Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, wow. Such a, such a, just, I don't even know the words for it. It's a very complex story. It's really interesting. The HBO documentary, I think it's called Beware the Slender Man. Hmm. I really enjoyed it. That has the interviews with the parents and, um, some of the interrogation videos and, and things like that. I really, really enjoyed the documentary. And then I'll put some links in the show notes of some of the YouTube videos that, that I used. Okay. Cool. Which, you know, if people are interested in that, it really, for me, it was very eye opening about, you know, questioning a child and, at one point, Morgan says to, to the detective, am I going to regret telling you all of this? Oh, my God. Answer then, yes. <laughs> and then she says, I wouldn't take back a thing. Oh, wow. So it's I mean, it is just like it's very eye opening. It's it's very rubbernecky. Like you really feel like you're spying on something that you shouldn't have a right to see. Well, that's what. That's being a true crime fan. There was a lot of that. You yeah. Know? And um, it's, and it's honestly, it's educational. Like for me, it was worth it. I was like, I find it really interesting. This isn't just like, you know, oh my God, tell me more. It was, yeah, it was eye opening. That's all leave it with you, know, you don't come up, there's not many one, there's not many cases like this with kids, children mm-hmm. to do this sort of thing. Young kids can, can do stuff. I can see how if your brain's not working right and you could get confused and it would just be different than being an adult. The mental illness mixed with the naivety, the naivete. Yeah, and, just, and the imagination and not really knowing how serious things are. And not understanding how to figure out what on the internet is true. Yeah. Because like that psychologist pointed out, they these stories on the internet are presented in a way that feels very true you know there was a there was a um i was not anywhere near 12 i want to say i was maybe eight and we lived in ohio and we went to something called jc's haunted house and a buddy of mine had told me that there was a room toward the end where there was a ghoul laying in a coffin the only thing in the room was going to be a ghoul laying in the coffin the lights are going to start flickering and they were like tom he's not dead 
he's going to get out of that coffin and he's going to, he's going to, he's, he's going to chase people around. And I'm like, okay, fine. So our mother took me there and we went through the haunted house and I don't remember anything about the haunted house, except I remember being outside of it. I remember being, I remember going to the final room and we turn the corner and there's the room and it's in that room empty. There's a coffin. There's a guy laying in there. He's a ghoul or whatever. And mom's bringing me in there and I'm like, mom, no. And I'm screaming. You should ask her about this. I'm like, he's not dead. He's not dead. And then the light started <laughs> flickering, the strobe light. And he, and he sat up and then, and listen, the next thing that the next thing I remember, oh God, the next thing I remember, I'm out in the yard and I'm standing there with probably a couple of other ghouls who are holding on to me. And then some other, and then the ghoul who jumped out of the coffins, like carrying mom out, he's kind of like, they're walking out hand in hand. And he's like, well, there's your son. And I'm like, I told you he was not dead. I listen, I pushed you mom down. down. Ran, no, I pushed mom, but the guy jumped out of the coffin. I turned around. I pushed mom on the ground, <laughs> ran over her body to get out of the haunted house. Now I was small as a kid. I probably weighed about 12 pounds, but I pushed her onto the ground and ran out. Save yourself. Okay. He's not, he's not dead. No, listen. Ooh, why not, are we telling this story? It's so good though. Be, be, because stuff that is obviously not real <laughs> can become real in the mind of a child. I mean, I oh. was running, I was <laughs> I was running for my life. Right. Now, granted, these two girls were a few years older. You weren't just, you weren't just holding on to mom and being like, I'm scared. I need to hold on to you. You literally felt like you needed to get out of that room. And I don't even remember doing it. I remember, I remember being out there and I remember the, I remember the skeleton dude bringing mom out. And then, <laughs> and I remember, and you, you, you need to ask her about this. Call her and ask okay. her. I, pu I, I pushed my mother <laughs> onto the ground and I ran Trampled over her. <laughs> To get out, because I was like, "Listen, I told you he ain't dead. All right, one of us is getting out of here alive." All right, silliness aside, though, my point just in the you should have moved. Children, um, children are different. Yeah, they are different. Yeah. So, let's wrap this up. Yeah. Any last thoughts? I, I don't have any. Awesome. All right. Well, this cool. was super fun, and absolutely, I yeah. will see you again tomorrow i'm tom and i'm chris and, and the, the defense, defense rests, rests. <laughs>